Hi again, everybody. I'm Dan Horde, and thanks for downloading the Bengals Booth Podcast. The Viva, Viva Las Vegas edition. As the Bengals come to the gambling capital of the world and strike it rich with a 32-13 win over the Las Vegas Raiders. Coming up, you'll hear radio replays, post-game comments from players and coaches, and analysis from my broadcast partner, Dave Lapham. Then, in this week's Fun Fact segment, you'll get to know one of the heroes from Sunday's win, the baby-faced assassin, Evan McPherson. The Bengals Booth Podcast is presented by Ultimate Bengals, the free-to-play next-level fantasy football game. Download it now from the App Store and Google Play. And here's a quick reminder that you can have the latest edition of this podcast delivered right to your phone, tablet, or computer by subscribing wherever you get your podcasts. It's the greatest thing since... The Cinnamon Roll at the Brown Bear Bakery. There aren't many truly bad cinnamon rolls out there. I even like the Pillsbury version that comes in the little tube in the freezer section at the grocery store. But I recently had one from the Brown Bear Bakery in downtown Cincinnati, and it is, without question, the best cinnamon roll I've ever had. It's got a little orange zest on the top with cream cheese icing, and it is next level. So, do yourself a favor and enjoy the flavor of the Brown Bear Bakery Cinnamon Roll. Now, let's get to Sunday's game. It did not start well as the Bengals coughed up the ball on their opening possession. Third down and six from the 40, shotgun snap. Burrow looking, sacked, ball comes out. out. Raiders scoop it up at the 40, running it back to the 30. Now the 20, cutting back to the middle of the field at the 15, the 10, and the tackle made by T. Higgins at the 9-yard line. Levitt scooping up the fumble and running it back to the 9. But the Bengals' defense only allowed the Raiders to gain one yard. Vegas settled for a field goal and a 3-0 lead. Here's Eli Apple. Sudden change, we already know. We got to stop the bleeding whenever something like that happens uh, as a defense, so we just came together and we were just locking in, that's all. The Bengals answered, thanks in part to a roughing the passer penalty on Yannick Ngakwe, when Cincinnati would have had to punt. Instead, Evan McPherson got to kick. The snap, the put down, the swing of the right leg, Evan McPherson's kick is good! Yeah. Yeah. He delivers from 54 yards away and ties a franchise record for most 50-plus field goals in a single season. It's a record that goes back to 1970 when Horst Muehlman made four in one season. That's what Evan McPherson has done in his first 10 games. Four out of five attempts. Four out of five. Unbelievable. It was 3-3 at the end of the first quarter. Another field goal gave Vegas a 6-3 lead early in the second before the Bengals took advantage of more Raiders penalties. An offsides call wiped out a sack on 3rd and 12, and after the 5-yard penalty, the Bengals converted on 3rd and 7. A few plays later, a helmet-to-helmet hit moved the ball inside the red zone. From the 11-yard line, Burrow under center. Receiver goes in jet motion. They run in the opposite direction. Morgan jogging. Mix into the 5, to the pylon. Reaches out with the football. Touchdown! Bengals as Mixon takes it in following the lead block of Stanley Morgan for an 11-yard TD. Mixon followed his touchdown with a Vegas theme celebration as he pretended to roll a pair of dice. Came up with that during, what was it, Thursday's practice. I was just like, bro, what are we doing? Like, 
we need a celebration. We going to Vegas. Like, what? what is it? And then we was like, bro, we got to do something like where we gambling. So I'm like, you know what? Let's shake them dice. <laughs> I ended up, you know, ended up saying whoever scored, uh, going to shake the dice and get the pot. And I was able to do it. It was 13-6 Cincinnati at the half, even though the offense hadn't done much. Mixon only had 26 rushing yards at the break, and Joe Burrow was held to 78 yards through the air. But in the second half, the Bengals never punted. On their first possession, Evan Almighty came through again. Looking for his second long field goal of the game. The snap, the swing of the leg, the kick is on its way. Easy. It is good with ease. Easy. <laughs> Evan McPherson with his fifth field goal of 50-plus in the first 10 games of the season. A new single-season record for the Cincinnati Bengals. And Cincinnati leads this game 13 to six. That ball hit two-thirds up the net. Two-thirds of the way up there. It would have been good from 65. It gave the Bengals a 13-6 lead going to the final quarter, and you can probably guess how they added to it early in the fourth. Evan McPherson has hit from 53 and 54. Now he's trying to boot one through from 51. Huber ready for the snap from Harris. Kevin Huber catches the ball, puts it down. McPherson swings the leg. His oh, kick yeah. is oh, yeah. good again. Yeah, yeah. Three times <laughs> from 50-plus for the rookie out of Florida. And the Bengals have a 10-point lead as a result. They are on top 16-6. to It was fun while it lasted. When the Raiders got the ball back, Derek Carr threw three passes. A 25-yarder to Darren Waller a 31-yarder to the Pro Bowl tight end, followed by this pass to a different tight end. Carr catches the shotgun snap. He's going to float one toward the end zone. Logan Wilson in coverage. He had no chance. Touchdown Raiders as tight end Foster Moreau takes advantage of a mismatch against Logan Wilson, lining up wide to the right and hauling in the 19-yard TD. At that point, the game had a here-we-go-again feeling to it since the Bengals blew a double-digit fourth-quarter lead in their last road game against the Jets. But not this time, as Cincinnati responded with a 12-play touchdown drive. Third down and goal from the six. Shotgun snap. Burrow from the pocket. Throws toward the Boom. Back. Left corner of the end zone. Boom. Caught by Chase. Touchdown! Bengals! Jamar Chase doing his gritty dance in the back of the end zone as the Bengals answer with a long touchdown drive and go back up by two scores. McPherson proved to be human as he missed the extra point, but that was the last mistake the Bengals made. Carr back to throw. He'll pass for Waller. Intercepted by Eli Apple. Now he loses the ball and then pounces on top of it. There's a late penalty flag down. Eli Apple running toward the end zone to pose for a picture after intercepting that throw for Darren Waller. Eli Apple has obviously faced his share of criticism this year. And Zach Taylor says it was great to see him make such a huge play. Really proud of him because he, he just hangs in there and, and is able to go on the next play. And that's just really his experience playing football, playing NFL football, is kind of knowing that concept's coming at you and that coverage and being able to follow off and get that pick. Uh, because I'm from the sidelines, I know what coverage it is. I, I see what route's developing with Waller. Um, and the corner's got to be the one to make the play. And, and he did it and then some. And so uh, just just awesome job by Eli there. It gave the Bengals the ball at the 27-yard line and two Joe Mixon runs later. They were in the end zone. On second down, it's a handoff. Mixon finds a cutback lane to the 10, swerving toward the end zone. Touchdown! 
Bengals with 3.51 to go, and that could be Coffin Nails. Bam, bam, bam. Mixon slipped a few times on the Allegiant Stadium grass in the first half, but after switching to longer cleats in the third quarter, he had a big half, finishing the game with 30 carries for 123 yards. Here's Tyler Boyd. He can do it all. It ain't just the run downhill. He can hit you up. He can shake you. He can catch the ball. He can do anything we need him to do. You know, that's why he's out there, and that's why he, 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 he's uh, one of the best running backs in the league. And with cold weather games approaching after Thanksgiving, Mixon is ready for a heavy workload. With the history of me being in Cincinnati, um, usually November and December become them games where they lean on me and uh, I've been really, you know, doing big things and finishing very strong. So, um, like I said, I just, for me personally, I got to do whatever I can to, you know, prepare my body for whatever that, you know, I got to get ready for. The Bengals had a 16-point lead with four minutes to go, so the Raiders still had a prayer if they could get two touchdowns and two two-point conversions. Shotgun snap. Derek Carr, here Come comes on. Hendrickson. Hendrickson, got him, ball Ball's comes out, out. Hubbard Come scoops on, Sam. up, Sam running it back with blockers in front, to the 50, Hubbard to the 40, cutting it back toward the numerals at the 35, <laughs> Sam Hubbard tackled at the 32, Trey Hendrickson with the strip sack, recovered by his buddy Sam Hubbard, and this bad boy is over. Hubbard's 43-yard run back led to a 47-yard field goal by McPherson, his fourth of the game. And that made the final score 32-13. Here are Joe Burrow, Joe Mixon, and Zach Taylor. That was fun. It was a hard-fought game. They were a good team that we knew was going to be a dogfight. We knew the kind of defense they were. They weren't going to give up you know, a lot of big plays, so we had to stay patient. And you know, eventually the dam broke, and we were you know, able to get some points at the end. Defense played great. Team won. You know, I'm just proud of how we responded after that loss um, about two weeks ago proud of how we responded we just got to keep on building getting better and uh you know we got everything that we want in front of us and we just got to keep on going one week at a time and just stack them dubs that's pretty much about it just a couple weeks ago we went to new york had an 11 point lead in the fourth quarter and squandered it really on both sides of the ball and they came back and won and today we had that same moment in the fourth quarter and we responded with a touchdown we responded with two turnovers i'm just really proud of the way that these guys have responded shows the maturity of our football team and really proud of them to get to go out after a bye and uh, get a big road win and come back and get ready for a big-time divisional game this Sunday at our house. Uh, really proud of our guys today. That divisional game is against the Pittsburgh Steelers, who scored 27 points in the fourth quarter against the Chargers on Sunday night and took the lead with three and a half minutes to go, only to surrender it on a 53-yard touchdown pass from Justin Herbert to Mike Williams to give L.A. a 41-37 win. As a result, the Bengals climb back ahead of Pittsburgh in the AFC North. Cincinnati is in second place, one game behind the Ravens, and a half game ahead of Pittsburgh and Cleveland. The Bengals are currently the number six seed in the AFC playoff race. The Bengals Booth Podcast is presented by Ultimate Bengals, the free-to-play fantasy football game. Ultimate Bengals will be awarding a weekly winner during the course of the season with tickets, autographed merchandise, and money-can't-buy experiences all up for grabs. Find Ultimate Bengals in the app stores now. Now time for post-game analysis with my broadcast partner, Dave Lapham. 
Lap quite a day coming out of the bye for the Bengals. A 32-13 win in Las Vegas. First time since 2015 they've won their game after the bye. They were good in every department today. Yeah, they really were. I mean, I think they, they played with the sense of urgency that you thought they might play with. No panic. Um, and, you know, some of the things that they did so well, you know, one penalty for five yards mm. on the road in a loud stadium, a hostile environment, uh, no penalties on the offense, none. One penalty on the defense, which was more of a mental error. You know, you see an offensive lineman move your instincts to make sure that he gets penalized while he's in a two-point stance, not a three-point stance, so he can do that. Um, but other than that, I mean, the focus was laser sharp, you know, uh, in terms of not beating themselves. Make sure that, okay, you're on the road against a good football team. Make them win the game. Don't you help them win the game? And they did that about as well as you can do it. Time of possession, 37 minutes and 20 seconds to 22 minutes and 40 seconds. That's the type of differential you'd expect like out of Navy running the triple option. You don't see a disparity that uh, huge in an NFL game very often. Yeah, and, and a big part of it was 0 for 7 on third down. I mean, they just, once they got on track and did a better job in first and second down, I mean, it was, they, they had a couple of critical three and outs and uh, didn't let them get anything done on third down whatsoever. And uh, then they started, you know, grinding, putting them in meat grinder and let Joe Mixon run the ball 30 times and uh, eat clock up. Uh, it was, uh, I thought, particularly in the second half, fourth quarter, most specifically, they just wore them down. I mean, that defense, you could tell, were uh, that, that's a pretty good group. I mean, Crosby's a, a heck of a player. I mean, it's like... Uh, <laughs> It's like trying to block Gumby with 50-inch uh, arms, you know. I mean, it's, you can't get to his chest. The guy does not let you get to his chest. I mean, he, he's a nightmare. He's a nightmare for offensive linemen. And um, once, once they get into a situation, though, where they could just come off the line of scrimmage and tee off and, and you know, he just couldn't get it, blow up the football field and pass rush the whole time it, it, in the warm turn a little bit. People love to talk about halftime adjustments. I don't know how much validity there is to it most of the time, but I do know this. In this game, the Bengals had five drives in the second half. They scored on all five. In the Jacksonville game, where they were way behind, they had four drives. They scored all four to win that game. So if there is any validity to the, the notion of the halftime adjustments, they've uh, done a remarkable job in a couple of games this year. Yeah, and in this game, you got a kicker that's blasting them from 50-plus <laughs> to put points on the board. I mean, geez, what a weapon that is, you know, and uh, for him to be six for seven, from 50 yards plus, the only miss from 57 yards. That's that's uh, and 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 his swing is just so smooth and so easy. I mean, he's just and he's getting high trajectory. It's not like you know he's he's having to hit those low line drives to get it to the goalpost. He's kicking it and it's going two thirds of the way up the net. I mean, he's good from he's good from 60 on every one of those kicks. I mean, he's got a a definite pure swing and man, a howitzer hanging off of that right hip. Let's give credit for Dar to Darren Simmons for recognizing the best kicker in this draft and Duke Tobin for the willingness to pull the trigger on drafting a kicker in the fifth round. A lot of people in the day or two immediately after the draft downgraded the Bengals' overall draft for the simple fact that they took a kicker in the fifth round. If you happen to take one who's that good, it's well worth it. Yeah, there's no doubt. I mean, I think they, I think there were quite a few teams. Darren, Darren thought there were a few teams that were going to draft him. He was a draftable kicker. So he and Duke thought that you don't have to expend a fifth rounder on it because if you wait till the sixth, you may not get there. Somebody, somebody might do it later in the fifth round than you would have done it. So um, that was a, a, a gutsy move. 
they knew what they were doing. <laughs> they targeted him, and they got him. And boy, he's you talk about a bright future, and, and uh, nothing seems to phase him. That's the thing. Even when you know when things don't go his way, he doesn't fall apart. There's no panic in that kid either. And uh, that's that's the thing I think with a lot of these uh, a lot of these players is that they just. They just move on. They move on to the next experience, whether it's a, a, a joyful experience, compartmentalize, move on, or a tragic experience, compartmentalize, move on. Speaking of guts, I thought this was a toughness game for Joe Burrow. The stats weren't great, 148 yards, one touchdown, no picks, pass rating of 92.3, so it wasn't bad. But he was taking hits, didn't have much time to throw, made a couple of questionable decisions in terms of scrambling kind of back into traffic, uh, leading to more hits, but he just kept coming back for more as he always does. Yeah, he did. And, and you know, I, a few people in the locker room that I talked to after the game mentioned that uh, for the first time, uh, Gus Bradley kind of changed coverages a little bit. You know, he wasn't just that pure, uh, you know, cover three that, that he did in Seattle so successful. They were they were throwing some different wrinkles at him, and I think that that's a, a testament to what you've got for weaponry offensively when when he does something like that uh, in a home game. You know, it's uh, it's 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 pretty interesting. Um, but you know, it did it took a while for Joe Burrow, I think, to to settle in, and um, Joe Mixon just started taking over, took over the football game, and and the, the offensive line just. Uh, you know the two-yard gains turned into four or five-yard gains as they as they you know started to settle in to what was going on and uh, it can't give enough credit to the to the defense as well. I mean, complimentary football. I'd say the Baltimore game and this football game. You know, and it's easy to say because the differential, 19-point win in Baltimore, it's more than that. But all three phases, I mean, you have a kicker kicking three field goals over 50 yards. You have your defense getting the football back to the offense. You have the offense keeping the football and, you know, grinding clock and scoring points. That's a, that's a good formula, particularly on the road. Do you think that Joe Mixon is going to get, get this kind of workload going forward? We're being told to, to go a little bit yeah, quieter. Right. Apparently, we can be heard in the uh, press conference room. Do you think Joe Mixon's going to get this kind of workload going forward, 30 catches or 30 carries, rather, today to tie his career high? Yeah, I think, I think that, uh, that they, they understand that that's a component they can do. Um, and and I, th I think it's on a game-by-game -game basis. I think it's on a, on a, on a matchup, uh, matchup basis a little bit. This football team, they'd rush, people had rushed the ball on them. And, and I, think, I think when you do have a weapon like Joe, Bar uh, Joe Mixon, though, I think you do have to let him <laughs> become a factor. And let's face it, if, if, if you can run the ball on a consistent basis, and I'm not saying he has to carry it 30 times a week every week, but if he gets... 18 to 25 carries on a on a consistent basis. I'd say 20 to 27 even, somewhere in that kind of a number. 27 on the high end, and you know 18 to 20 catches, 25 to 27 uh, touches, running the football, and, and 25 to 27 on the high end. I think, I think that is very manageable, and I think you can still, um, you know, get the football to other guys because they're going to be on the field and they're going to they're going to run 65, 70 plays a game. Big picture, this was huge. They're six and four. They've got seven games to go. Five of them are at home, including home games against the Steelers and the Ravens. We talked about it on our midweek podcast, a website that measures playoff probability, said their chance of making the playoffs would jump to 55% if they won today, which they did. And that same website said if they win today and then win at home next week against the Steelers, it goes up to nearly 70%. Yeah, and, and the players are aware of that. The players, they can't wait to get back home for three straight games. 
you know, we talked about it uh, in the locker room with, with a few guys, and five of those seven games are, are at home and three of them in a row. Uh, they, they can't wait, honestly. And, uh, and that, that's the thing is, is now you have to start to stack them. You know, it's like you can't you can't have the graph going up and down and up and down. It's a roller coaster in the National Football League now. And uh, who who would have thunk it? You know, it's a, it, you can't you can't figure it. You just teams that you think it's going to be a, a dogfight till the very end. One team blows the other one out, and sometimes it's the opposite team that you think it might happen to. And um, all, all you can do is is basically okay, put this one away, learn from it, accentuate the positives, build on that, and, and try to stack wins. Try to go. You know, one and oh, seven more times. That's the bottom line. Brent Musburger, the legendary 82-year-old radio voice of the Las Vegas Raiders, has a signature call now when the Raiders score a touchdown. Now that the team is playing in Las Vegas, Brent says, jackpot, baby. Well, that's what we can say today for the Bengals. Jackpot, baby. No doubt. No doubt. And it was a big one. I mean, there were 32, uh, 32 points in that jackpot. And uh, <laughs> and, and they did. They, uh, you know, when, when you look at it, the way they'd struggled on the road, no other way to put it with Zach. Now they're, they've turned into a, this is an easy trip to make. Four-hour flight, three time zone changes, and, um, you know, come out in the football field and, and, and focus and and basically give all-out effort every single snap like they did. I think it's a, a sign of maturation. I think it's a sign of focus, and there's a lot of good things there. For more on Sunday's win, join Lap and Lance McAllister for Bengals Line, Monday night from 6 to 9 on Fox Sports 1360. Now time for this week's Fun Facts segment, and it's perfect timing for this week's subject. Time for some Fun Facts with kicker Evan McPherson from Fort Payne, Alabama, population roughly 15,000 in the northeast part of the state. Describe Fort Payne and some of the things you like about your hometown. It's a small town where, how I explain it, is everybody kind of knows everybody. Um, it was a lot of fun growing up there. Um, not much going on, and so all you, had, all you had to really focus on was, you know, your your sports, and then uh, and then really church was a big thing in our community too. And so you go to church on Sunday, and then pretty much sports um, every day of the week. Um, but no, I, small town feel. Um, you know, there's only one school really in the city, mm-hmm. and so everybody goes to that one school, and um, you pretty much know almost everybody in the in the city. Sounds like Lakewood, New York, where I grew up. Fort Payne is the home of the band Alabama, one of the biggest selling country music bands of all time. In fact, there is a museum dedicated to the band in Fort Payne. Are you a country music guy, and have you ever gone into the museum? Yeah, I'm 100% a country music guy. If you were to get in my car with me right now, that's what would be on the, the radio. Um, yeah, I just grew up listening to it. Um, you know, being from Fort Payne, is, like you said, it's probably a big part of our culture with the band Alabama being from Fort Payne. Um, and it's super cool just to, um, you know, have them represent Fort Payne um, in a great way and, you know, on the national country music stage. But uh, I've never been in the museum. I drive past it every single day, (laughs) but I've never actually been in it. Something to look forward to on your next visit home. We are chatting with Evan McPherson. You're from a family of kickers. Your older brother was a college punter. Your younger brother is headed to Auburn. He's considered to be the top high school kicker in the country. How did the McPherson boys become such good kickers? 
I mean, I think it just comes down to um, us just playing a lot of sports growing up, and the main one being soccer. Uh, you know, we were out in the yard every day shooting at a goal, um, just kind of working on our leg strength. Then, even though we didn't really realize how we were going to use it, you know, later down the road, um, I think it just all started, you know, playing soccer at a young age and just um, continuing to to play it as we grew up. And then, you know, when my older brother got into ninth grade, he went out and tried out and um, just saw the the kicker at the time at the other field, at the other end of the field, kicking, and he thought it was pretty cool. And so he just went over and um, tried it out, came home and told the family that he was going to be the kicker, and um, kind of went from there. I mean. I probably went outside the, that day and was like, I've never seen this before. And so I probably went out and tried it. And, you know, the, the, the rest is history. I mean, ever since then, um, we turned our soccer goal into uprights. And so that's kind of how it's been since, uh, since then. I am the least handy person in the world. I can barely change a light bulb. How did you guys turn a soccer goal into basically a makeshift goalpost? Yeah, so we just had some extra PVC pipe laying around the house or around the garage or something. And then we just grabbed them, um, took some bungee cord, and wrapped it tight around the soccer goal post and um, just tied it to the, the soccer goal. And that's kind of how we made it work. Describe the history of the high school state record for longest field goal in Alabama. Because it seems like it's gone from brother to brother to brother. <laughs> It has. Um, I know when my older brother was in um, in high school, I think the record might have been 56, 55, 56. And for him to get the 57 was huge at the time. You know, we we're all excited for him. And, you know, it's really cool to have your name in a record book, uh, especially for, for it to be for the longest field goal um, in state um, history. And so, you know, after he hit that, obviously, then my goal is to beat him. And, you know, I really got fortunate with, you know, my coach giving me the opportunity to attempt long ones. And um, my senior year, uh, I broke his record, set it with a 60-yard field goal. Um, and then, obviously, from there, my little brother, now his goal is to break my record. And he's had so many attempts um, over the course of his career. I mean, his coach is out there letting him attempt 70-yard field goals, which is – Wow. Which is pretty crazy. And he almost made the 70-yard the field goal he attempted, but he just came up a little short. Um, and then last week, um, he hits a 61-yard field goal in the first quarter, but his teammate false starts. So bag him up to 66, came up short. And then later in the game, he came back and hit another 61 wow. with no false start. Hmm. And so he broke my record last last week, and so took my name out of the record book, but <laughs> same last name. And you know, I'm super super excited for him, and you know, it just shows that he has a good coach. So that's awesome. We're doing fun facts with Evan McPherson. Kickers dream of walk off kicks that win games, but your first walk off moment in sports was actually in soccer state championship. You're a ninth grader. Tell me about the game-winning goal and what that moment meant to you. That moment was super special. Um, we had five freshmen starting on that team and just growing up with those with those guys and um, playing with them ever since we were probably seven years old. Um, it was just super special to um, 
to honestly win a state championship with the team. But and then on top of that, um, to score the the game winning goal, um, it was super special. A lot of fun. Um, I mean, I got to give credit where credit's due. I mean, my teammates um, did a great job putting me in the position to score that goal. I had a great pass, and all I had to do was kind of go put my head on it and flick it over the goalie. But, um, yeah, that was such a special moment for me and, um, I guess, for my sports career. (laughs) People can watch the video on YouTube, and I recommend listening to the commentators as well. They got very excited (laughs) about that double overtime state championship winning goal. We're talking to Evan McPherson. When it came time to go to college, you chose to leave the state of Alabama and become a Florida Gator. Why? Uh, you know, I really trusted in uh, everything that Coach Mullen was doing. Um, you know, I was committed to Mississippi State for over a year. And that just kind of came down to, um, I mean, one, I really enjoyed Starkville. I'll talk a little bit about Mississippi State, but I really liked Starkville and the, the town that it was in. And But two, like the coaching staff, um, the strength staff, you know, I really blended well with those guys and really liked what they were doing and I felt really confident in them and, you know, they felt confident in me. And so that's really why I decided to go there. And then whenever um, Coach Mullen got the job at Florida, he calls me um, the day he landed and and offered me a scholarship there. Um, You know, I I sat there and thought about it for a couple of days. And then I was like, you know, um, where my heart lies was kind of with the coaching staff um, that went to Florida. And, you know, I really wanted to play in big games. And I thought um, that Florida would give me the opportunity to play in a lot bigger games than if I had gone to Mississippi State. And, um, you know, that's what it kind of came down to. And, you know, I, I felt, I guess, a little more comfortable at Florida just because I had that, that bond with the whole, the whole staff that was down there. You had a great career for Florida, and then the Bengals selected you in the fifth round of the draft, the only kicker selected in this year's draft. Describe your draft day experience. Draft day was was awesome. We had some people get together um, at the house uh, to watch because I had a a pretty good idea that I was going to get drafted, and, you know, I was hoping I would. Uh, Just didn't know where. Um, It's kind of a mystery. And the whole day, it, it was pretty special. I mean, we had this Mexican restaurant in town um, where I pretty much call my second home. I'm there. <laughs> whenever I'm back home, I'm there all the time. And, you know, they were kind enough to, uh, to cater food uh, to the house uh, for everybody that was there. And um, I think, shoot, we probably started sitting around the, the TV probably fourth round and just sitting around, sitting around the TV just – sitting there with all my friends and family um, that have all supported me throughout my career was, was super special. And then, you know, the fifth round, whenever it came around and I got the phone call, whole place kind of erupted. And it was a super special moment for me. Um, obviously, I have my, my fiance sitting right by my side, and she's been with me since my freshman year of high school. And so she's, she's uh, watched me grow and helped me grow, you know, into what I am today. And uh, it was honestly just a, a super special moment for, for everyone involved. Your NFL career began with a bang as you kicked a overtime game-winning field goal to beat the Minnesota Vikings at Paul Brown Stadium. Who was the most nervous, you, your parents, or your fiancé? I would probably say my, my parents or fiancé for sure. <laughs> I can't tell you which one was probably more nervous, but I think uh, I was super confident in myself, so I wouldn't say I was really nervous at all. I know they panned over to me 
after they called the timeout and I was kind of smiling. Um, but no, I mean, I was super confident in, in my abilities to make that kick. Uh, it's a PAT in my mind, and I knew um, I was going to do everything in my power to put it through. You had a walk-off game winner in your first home game, a walk-off game winner in your second home game, and you thought you had a walk-off game winner in your third home game before a gust of wind led to a miss against Green Bay. Do you cringe when you see footage of the post-game celebration? I don't think I cringe. I, I laugh more than everything because, um, you know, you can't really do anything about it now. Um, it's, it's, it's in the past, and so I kind of – it's honestly more funny than it is – cringy to me um just based off of what I felt in the moment um thought it hit it well and um I thought it was just going to stay its course and you know split the uprights but the wind had different plans um and so that's definitely something I learned from and um I don't think you'll see me celebrate early on a field goal again I do think we will be seeing you celebrate game-winning field goals again, though, that's for sure. A few wild-card categories to wrap up fun facts with Evan McPherson. You have a very youthful appearance. Do you have any amusing stories about people not buying that you are a professional football player? I got a couple, I guess, To um, since I've been here. It's funny because um, outside the facility, um, Kevin Huber, he's really – you know, taking me under his wing and, you know, we'll go golf a little or we went to the Friday night UC game and um, at the golf course um, we were checking in, getting our golf cart and the guy that was checking us in was like, um, what, he's like, is this your son or something? <laughs> and he's like, he's like, no, he's just a guest. He's with me. All right. Now, that was my first experience hearing somebody say something like that about me and Kevin. And then at the UC game, uh, the Friday night UC game, we go down and um, we're talking to Kevin's ex-neighbor. And she asked if I was Kevin's nephew. <laughs> Kevin was like, no, we're uh, – he was like, no, we're coworkers. And so we, we go on talking, whatever, and she didn't believe it whenever he said it. And so – Kevin's other friends knew who I was and knew I was a kicker. And later on, she was like, so who are you really? <laughs> I still wasn't buying it. Still wasn't buying it. And <laughs> the, the, his other friends were like, he's the kicker for the Bengals. And she's like, what? <laughs> she was like, I don't believe you. She's like, you look like you're 17. I'm like, oh, yeah, I may look like I'm 17, but I'm 22. <laughs> and then the last one I'll give you, it was when we were at Detroit. And... I walk out of the out of the locker room and the security lady um, is standing right there and she's like, "Do you have credentials?" And I'm like, "No, I'm a player." She <laughs> said, "She said not." Nah. She's like, "I don't believe you. I need to see credentials." And I was like, "Well, I have a picture of myself I could show you because I have my phone." And so I show her a picture. She's like, "That's not enough. Like, wow. I need to see credentials." And luckily, at that time, Al Golden was walking out and the lady said. Um, Hey, sir, is, is he a player? And he's like, yeah. <laughs> and so she let me go and finally got onto the field. And what was funny, and when I got to the field, they were giving me a hard time. Uh, they wouldn't let me onto mm -hmm. the field. So those are just a couple instances. But, um, you know, hopefully, like you said, we'll be celebrating a lot of more game winners. And maybe people will start to recognize me a little more. Trust me, someday you'll be very happy you have this youthful appearance. Who is your all-time favorite athlete in any sport? Mm. So I grew up really liking, this is going to be funny, Tom Brady. 
I was a Patriots fan growing up. Mm-hmm. Um, I really liked how he competed and what he brought to the team and obviously how much he won. Um, and so he was probably one of my favorite athletes growing up. But um, other than him, a wild card that nobody really think of, is his name is Ronaldinho. And he played for uh, for Barcelona, AC Milan, and uh, pretty sure he played for Brazil national team. Um, he was my favorite soccer player, I'd say. And whenever I was growing up playing soccer, he was the guy that I really looked at to, uh, I guess you could say, emulate. Last thing, if you could meet anybody in history, athlete, actor, statesman, historical figure, whoever that might be, who would be at the top of your list? Probably God. I think that would be pretty cool. You can ask about that gust of wind. Yeah, I'll ask him what, what was up with that gust of wind against Green Bay. Because I was like, I, I knew what my mind and what uh, my body was telling me, which way the wind was blowing. But I was like, I guess you had a different, different plan. So I'll definitely ask him about that. This has been great. I really appreciate your time. Congratulations on a great start and best of luck this year. Thank you. That's going to do it for this episode of the Bengals Booth Podcast, brought to you by Ultimate Bengals, the free-to-play next-level fantasy football game. Download it now from the App Store and Google Play. If you haven't done so already, please subscribe to this podcast. And if you have a minute, give it a rating or share a comment. That helps more Bengals fans find us. I'm Dan Horde, and thanks for listening to the Bengals Booth Podcast. Podcast.